Yeah. Let's talk, dude. Let's do it, man. We have a special guest on tonight. Dr. Cherubini has been a professor for four years now, was the chair of the kinesiology department, now is no longer the chair, but is able to adjust his lifestyle and has taught us many different things. And I'm proud to introduce him today on the podcast. We talked about you for quite a bit of episodes so at, far. At so, least once an episode. Yeah, I, jo- I joke that I give you content for your episodes, which yeah. is all good. You do, it's though. Like every <laughs> every philosophy good. class, we just come and good. talk about it. We had a good, like, what, 13, 14 episodes in before we got the e- original email from you where you were like, I listen. And when we got that, I remember being really excited when we got that email and just knowing that Dr. Jerry being like, listen to everything that we put out, especially coming right after philosophy class. But And that's where I learned that you're cribbing everything from class. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Literally. Yeah. And I, I was at work at the time and I read the email and my jaw dropped. I literally just instantly just FaceTime Zach, and I was like, check your email. Well, you were ragging on the amount of content I had in my slides. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dr. Cherubini, uh, what, what else do you want the audience to know about you other than a professor at Manhattan College Kinesiology? Uh, but I'm, well, I'm happy that you guys are like uh, into all the things that we talk about and all the things that we do and appreciate it. I remember all of you coming in, well, and Ryan over there, too, coming in as freshmen or accepted for accepted students' days and how excited yeah. you were to be there. So I have memories of each of you with that. You had a little bit more hair. <laughs> no, I had a lot more hair. It just, it just I moved. Knew it. The I hair knew. just moved down to the face. Um, but I remember all of you as, as young bucks or whatever we want to say. Um, but yeah, no, it's, I, lo- I love teaching. I love being here. And uh, I'm glad that like you guys make, make, it, make me feel like all of it's worth it sometimes. So that's good. Oh, wow. That's good. You know, that's Sorry. It. No, no. Getting <laughs> sentimental quick. No, it just it makes me just reflect because there are many nights where I remember just laying in bed at night and I'm like, damn, like Dr. Cherubini makes this all worth it. Because I mean, we struggle like hard sometimes. I mean, we have a lot of responsibilities on our plate. And I remember like countless times where I just turn to professionals and I'm just like ha- have being grateful for other professors, especially you in the kinesiology department that really make my experience a little better when it, in the hard times, but the best when it comes to overall. So, yeah. um, yeah, I, there's so many times where I'm like, yeah, Dr. Cherubini has really made my experience here. Nice. It's so worth it. And I don't I, know. Sorry to cut you off. It's like the dynamic that you make. I don't know how you do it. If it's just natural to you, but it's like, as a student, I want to make you proud. And like, there's always a pressure to like make you proud. Cool. But at the same time, the support is never ending. Nice. So like that dynamic just it kept me going, and cool. I've sent you emails too, like just the gratitude, yeah. like yeah, it's yeah. definitely there. Yeah. It's awesome. And while we're talking gratitude, let's make sure we give a shout out to the rest of our faculty. Oh, oh, one hundred percent. Because uh, no, honestly, we make a good team. Yeah, no, yeah. it's the like team. everyone kind of counterbalances itself, and you get different perspectives yeah. and all of that. I was talking to Sarah about that today. You know, she has three Dr. Keating classes every right, week, right, and right. I'm like, you need some balance in there. Right. Dr. Keating's great, but we right. need Dr. T in there. Taking classes with Dr. G gives you a different perspective from yeah, Dr. T, the Merriman, and, and Toscano, yeah. and, and Dr. Lada for absolutely. sure. Absolutely. So tell tell the audience a little bit about like your story in a sense of like where you came from, um, how you got into your undergrad, how you found your passion and well, teaching. It all started back in 1969. The Vietnam War was looming over the country. <laughs> I was born into a small Italian immigrant family. Now, um, it goes way back, but I mean, I, I think I'm in the, where I am now because of everything that kind of shaped me to this point. So starting with like my parents divorcing when I was in first grade, like my first childhood memories in my uncle's souped up um, Corvette, convertible Corvette, driving away from my house. And like I, my first childhood memory, looking back at the old house, wow. driving away, 
but like that just the parent my I have a twin brother so I have an identical twin who looks exactly like me except with a little bit more hair um, but literally if he walked in here with the hat on I and he sat down you guys would be totally fooled voices voice and everything yep and you would be like for a minute you'd be like oh you know there'd be a little bit of a difference yeah but you would wow. definitely be initially fooled what uh, and then a younger brother so it was really just the three of us my my mom raised us single family so it was all, like third grade being dropped off. I don't know if you can picture this, but in the third grade being dropped off at the laundromat to do the family laundry while my mom took another kid. So one of us went shopping with her, food shopping, while the other two hung out at the laundromat. Third grade. Yeah. Dinner on the table by uh, by sixth, seventh grade. Do the paper out, come home, make dinner, and dinner's on the table and my mom, my mom comes home. Like that kind of thing. So that just makes you independent. I mean, it. I, don't, I didn't realize it sucked at the time and it was fine. But like that idea of being independent early. And so that's kind of just, and all my brothers and I, all of us have had success, like big time success in all of our chosen fields. We all like when we went to college, we never had played rugby before. My twin brother and I both were, ele were elected captain the same week, our junior year at different wow. colleges. Kind of cool. Sick. And then my younger brother ended up becoming captain of his team. So um, just like lots of stuff. But lots of experiences. And I can go through my whole list of jobs I've had. At some point, I think it would be interesting for you guys to hear all the different jobs. I kind of want to know. Yeah, we can I start right now. I have a whole let's, list. I, let's, let's, let's I mean, it. it's kind of funny. <laughs> I started delivering newspapers. So like old school, get come home from school, stack of papers on the porch, put them on the back of my bike, and deliver the newspapers around the neighborhood. Uh, landscaping, doing yard work, any kind of outdoor yard work. I had a job in a deli, in Italian deli. Washing dishes, mopping floors. I graduated to making the meatballs. So, like, the owner was like, I trust you enough with my meatball recipe. <laughs> I still remember it. Um, but, uh, so, doing all that, I worked as a houseman at a Marriott hotel. This is all in high school. So, do you, I don't know what you know what housemen are. Yeah. So, you basically, there's a wedding during the, uh, there's a conference during the day, table set up for a conference, and then at night it becomes a wedding. So, you, someone has to move all those tables out and then put the wedding floor down. And then at the end of the wedding, clear out the wedding floor and set it back up for the conference the next morning. So in high school, after practice, I would go from like nine at night to two in the morning and flip these rooms over at a, at a hotel. I was a waiter at a Red Lobster. So that was an nice. interesting type of uh, nice. job to have. <laughs> I was a waiter at Red Lobster. That was kind of cool. I was a painter until I discovered they did not like to be at the top of a ladder. Like So job as a painter, young guy, climb up the ladder and I had to spend the whole day on top of the ladder painting outside of a house. Not too pleasant. I worked for New Jersey Public Interest Research Group, so New Jersey Perg. So I would have a clipboard with a list of addresses, and I'd have to go around and knock on a door. And the mostly it was women at home. Women or men would open the door, and I would have to pitch them on donating money to New Jersey Perg. Basically, you have toxic waste in the rivers in your backyard, so you have to donate money to this group. And Perg is still around. So I did that. Wow. This is all in this is all this high, is school, high school, all before I graduated college for sure. I worked at Fordham at, at the issue counter, um, like our equivalent of Dratty, passing out towels and then washing the towels. I worked at the school bookstore. I was a waiter and host at a soul food restaurant downtown. This is all in college. Um, I cleaned pools in the Hamptons, so I had a pool. I had a, a little tiny Toyota pickup truck, and I would drive and show up to the house with my buckets, and I would clean pools in the Hamptons for a summer in college. I worked at a restaurant at night during that whole time. I rented a room from a hostel, a guy that ran like a youth hostel, and he gave me a discount on the room for doing yard work for him. 
So I would like wake up, do yard work, go clean pools, and then go to the restaurant at night. So this was all like, uh, wow. this is all before graduating college. Um, and then we, our, my buddies and I, we had a house in the Hamptons. We were our own independent contractors. We basically cleaned people's windows using um, newspaper and vinegar. It's like an old school way of cleaning windows wow. that we were hired by people. That we were on these multi-million dollar houses on Dune Road. Literally would show what? up with vinegar and newspaper oh. and we would clean windows and what? whatever, three, four hundred bucks a pop for that thing. And then we would split it up between my buddies and I. We were very entrepreneurial, I guess would be the right word. Oh, wow. Uh, I could keep going. <laughs> what? What? Wow. So, so what this, was, is, this what? was all from, this was all up to graduating college. So I, so my last summer before graduating college, I was at that point a waiter at a restaurant on Dune Road. So I kind of graduated to that. We were living like the, our rea your reality TV shows now. We had a house with a pool and a sand volleyball court and 10 guys in a house. Mm. And that's how we did, that's how we ended, graduated. We all went to the house for that summer. Before reality TV was reality TV, um, but it was that kind of fun. But all the work, like we all, all of us just worked. Like we all just wow. was it to just live. Like what was yeah, the motivation? To live, what yeah, was the to, motivation? Live, to, to live. live different jobs. Like we're just one after. Like you got to. I mean, I had tons of loans in college, but yeah, just to live. Like we, I didn't have anyone putting any money in a bank account for me. It was yeah. just like just to live and pay rent. Like I was on my own after senior in high school. Never went back home. So just That's like crazy. lived on our own, wow. paid our rent, the whole thing. Yeah. That kind of makes me realize how much of a bubble I'm in sometimes. Yeah. Cause like, but it's different. It's yeah, different. no, it's yeah, different. It's, it's, different. A, it's times are different, but at the same time, like I started, I thought I started early, like working at 16, 17, like a few jobs here and there, but like that young, just nonstop work, yeah, from work, basically work. sophomore in high school, balancing like that with sport. What were you playing at the cross time? country and track? So that, and then rugby school, in college. That's ridiculous. It makes me. It's just the way it was. Yeah, yeah, that's just how. Yeah, it makes me think of like your brain or like your overall knowledge is like a pie chart, and like you have part of the pie chart, you have part of the pie chart, and like all these other jobs and all these other different kinds of skills you acquired, and then part of the pie chart being a professor and what you've learned academically at school, right? right? And I kind of want to know like what are some of the things that you didn't learn in school, like in your other different jobs that applied maybe unconsciously or like manifested through, you know, learning how to, you know, leverage your academic knowledge. Well, mostly work ethic. I think you don't learn that in school unless, unless you, yeah. unless you choose to, but in outside of school, you have to learn. If you're going to keep the jobs going, you have to learn work ethic for yeah. sure. And working yeah. with people. I mean, in, in the restaurant jobs at the end, I was, I was always kind of like a head waiter. Like I always got yeah. those kind of positions handed to, not handed to me, but earned. Um, but all of those managing all those skills, I like to consider myself a generalist. I could do a lot of things well, but nothing in particular perfect or very well. But the generalist, it, I'm not even done with the job things. I, at an undergraduate, I was hired as an assistant buyer for Lord & Taylor and their executive training program. What? So graduated and in college, I was kept, captain of the rugby team, treasurer of my class, and just had all these different jobs. And so I applied, there was a, it was the Lord and, so you guys, Lord yeah. and Taylor. Yeah, Lord so, and Taylor. So at the time, Lord and Taylor was as big as Macy's. I mean, that all of them have dropped off, but they had an executive training program. So it was a coveted job coming out of undergraduate because they took any major, they were looking for leadership, wow. someone who would like adapt and learn, go through the training program. So I went through their executive training program, August through December. I, I trained in men's personal furnishings, which is boxers and socks 
and uh, underwear socks that and so Joe Boxer as the brand as the boxer brand yeah is that still yeah that was new I've heard of it boxers were new like boxer briefs were new back in 1991 and so I trained there and then I um and then I was promoted to I was an assistant buyer for Sterling Silver Jewelry so all of the all of the Lord and Tales across the country there's the jewelry sections gold silver and so on Sterling Silver Jewelry my job with my buyer was to go to different vendors around New York City and they would come in flying to New York City and we would choose the silver jewelry to buy to then put in the stores that then others buy. Wow. So I did that. That's a big job. As as a as a twenty one year old. Totally and, you, and you were majoring in communications. Communications. So at this real point. quick, Soviet studies major okay, freshman yeah. year. Psychology major sophomore year. Communications major junior senior year. Graduate the communications major. I switched to communications from psychology because psychology labs were only offered on Tuesday and Thursday afternoon and rugby practice was Tuesday and Thursday afternoon. afternoon. Wow. So I switched from psychology to communications to fit the schedule for rugby. rugby. So I don't judge when anyone switches majors, obviously. Or career paths. Or career paths. So then I was an assistant buyer and I had a great salary. I had a closet full of nice suits because we got 50% off suits from Lord & Taylor, everything. Apartment in the city with my buddy, wake up every morning, grab my briefcase, put my suit on, take the subway downtown, stop and get my bagel, banana, and water, whatever I would buy, go into the office. And I did that for, the whole thing was nine months, but I did that work job for another six months. And I was like, this is really not for me. And my friend randomly calls me and goes, what do you think about moving to California? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, my grandmother lives out there. We can move out there and we can figure things out from there. I'm like, sounds good. And my parents freaked, obviously, because here I am with a good job in New York City and uh, everything is uh, graduated and I'm like, I'm moving to California. What are you going to do? I don't know. And the the HR person from Lord and Taylor, they, they tried to convince me. They offered me more money. They offered me whatever position I wanted. They wanted me to stay. And when I finally made, and they were like schmoozing me, they wanted me to stay. And when I finally made the decision, I'm like, I'm not staying. He said to me, you're going to be a bartender for the rest of your life. I said, maybe. And that was it. And what, I was a bartender for the next couple months. <laughs> wow. What what made you, what was that intuitional gut feeling like? I, I wasn't really like, I, I just wasn't uh, what, like the cycle. So fresh out of college, apartment in the city, good money, working, basically working seven to seven, Monday through Friday, Friday night, happy hour, Saturday, all my buddies would come into the, into the city. We would all go out Saturday night. Wake up Sunday with a hangover, get up and go back to work again on Monday. Yeah. And it was like, okay, this is it. Like, that was it. I wasn't maybe taking advantage, of, or I was taking advantage of the city, but maybe not in the ways I should have. Yeah. And it, it just wasn't me. Like, putting a suit on and, and being corporate America in a cubicle wasn't me. It's a lot of self-awareness at that age, you know? And like, how do you just, know what, or just how like, you know who you are even now? Don't. I mean, it's all. If I, I'm, is he gonna go there already? He no. Might. <laughs> Honestly, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. Uh, um, this is all your fault. This is philosophy <laughs> class. You're t- no, I, I wasn't thinking about anything at the time back yeah. then. I was just thinking California sounds great, and and I never been there. And I literally got on a flight with a suitcase, and I remember getting off the plane in, New, in Newport Beach, California. And the palm trees and the weather. And I was like, this is awesome. Doesn't San Diego have like the best weather in California? Yeah, yeah. and this was Newport, which is north of San Diego. But yeah, it's great. It's great yeah. weather. 
And I remember wow. just being like the air. I don't know if you get off a plane and it's like yeah. the air and the palm trees. <laughs> and it was just, and it was night. It was really, really nice. Wow. And we lived for two weeks at his, um, I had $3,000 in the bank. We lived for two weeks in um, in my friend's uh, grandma's house. And we got an apartment, got a job at a restaurant. And then quickly, long story short, worked at the restaurant, got residency, applied to grad schools, and then ended up in San Diego State where I got my graduate degree. Wow. In psychology. In uh, sport, exercise science sports psychology. Which doesn't... That was all before the age of 23. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, which doesn't, you know, make you a psychologist. No. <laughs> Man, that was not, so... Not at all. Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah. I got two years to do all that. I got two years right, left right, right. until I'm 23 to do all that. That's crazy <laughs> to think about that. And so that's like life. Like, so why, 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 why life experience? Yeah. But did you know in the moment, like no. life experience? No. I, and even in the moment, I was like, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I got a job at a restaurant. I was just doing that and making money that way. And I was like, oh, maybe. I, and I actually applied to be a, a forest fighter for the California Forest Fighter Federal you know, the guy jumping out of the uh, airplanes and just with shovels. Wow. And I half-assed that application yeah. and didn't get in there. And I just sent applications to different grad schools up and down the coast. San Jose State, San Francisco State, San Diego State. And I and I ended up getting into San Diego State. And I was like, that's where I want to go. And then I literally just like got my loans, took the small amount of money I had and found an apartment in San Diego. Wow. And then moved down there. Is this guy and then look for a job down there. So sorry, and look for a job down there. There's, there's got to be a little uh, a level of letting go to that, where like you have to let go of everything that you thought you knew, or that you thought you wanted in communications, or what your identity was going up until that point. There's got to be a form of letting go in that moment. Like what allowed you there, to let go? There and was, just go full in on these decisions. I'm gonna counter that. I didn't feel like there was anything to let go. I was I just see. doing yeah. the next thing. Right? Is that like I didn't feel like I. My, my maybe my parents like I don't know if I felt like I let them down because I was like I was almost like I'm gonna do what I want to do but not not in a selfish way in a yeah. I'm gonna just do I've been doing what I want to do for the last however many years I'm just gonna do what I want to do but not in a selfish way at all like you can do what you want to do yeah it was just like and as long as I can wow. like and it was like you know you make it work yeah and I had a friend who I had a friend who at the time was like yeah let's do it. And he he's now he's a trader and a broker and he's he's very very successful. Yeah, that's a that's and a blessing. Got, yeah, yeah. To even we, just have a friend. And he moved back here too, but we just uh, were like, let's do it. And our yeah. friends from college loved it because they had a place to go visit. Of course. Yeah. So you know there wasn't any thought. I I wish I could say that yeah. I like had this meaningful, thoughtful conversation with anyone. It was more like, hey, you want to go? Sounds good. Was the stigma back then though like college, 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 work for corporate America? A little bit. I think. Was that as much as today? Yeah, I think it was. I don't see. Yeah, I think it, there was definitely pressure for everyone graduating to get a job. There was that like that idea, and what job did you have? And oh, you're throwing it all away to go there. Like there was. So the pressure that. was still there. Yeah, because yeah. I feel like in today's society, that's definitely like always like yeah. behind people's right. Brain. And I also I try to tell. You, you guys, students, like, there's too much pressure. Like, wh why do you, why in any way do you think you should know what you want to do at the age of 17 or 18 or even 21, right? And like, I just met with someone today who was like, I don't, I'm not happy in this degree, in this major. I'm like, well, find one that you, find one that you're interested in. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're not interested in your classes, why are you in that major, right? But you, you I admit it, right? You have this pressure to feel like you have to decide yeah. 
what to do. It's a fear too, I think. Yeah. Because if, let's just say all of a sudden I wake up, ah, I don't want to be a physical therapist. My last four years of college and all the applications and this and that, it's gone out the window. Now what? Right, but, like what's the plan? So put in perspective, I had the one of the best paying jobs out of college and I said, this is not for me. Yeah. And people were like fighting for that position. Wow. But like to hear it now, kind of like, Maybe one day I will wake up. I wasn't. And not be I wasn't a PT. thirty years old until I. Until I. I actually not until I got the job at Manhattan did I ever think I would be a professor. Not until I was thirty-two years old. Was physical activity always there though? Like yes. sp- sports, yep. fitness. Yep. I knew, and, and that's why sports, sports psychology. Because mm. I knew I wanted to do something in sports. So what'd you get your PhD in? Kinesiology with a specialization in psychosocial aspects of physical activity, exercise, and sport. That was you like that psychosocial. Where, where was that? That was at Temple University. So it's a kinesiology. I forget about Temple. That's where I he forget met about my Temple. mentor that he put me in contact with, yes. Doctor Wright, the one who works. Doctor Wright was like was uh, getting his master's degree while I was getting my doctorate. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just someone I came across that I knew he could reach out to. So at Temple, you knew you wanted to be a professor, or not yet? No. So um, I think I told Zach the story. So. Again, like randomness of like the way it works. I was in San Diego and some of my friends were going to grad school. My best friend, who we worked at a gym together, so I was working as a trainer, certified trainer doing some sports psychology stuff. I actually had like a gig going where I was doing assessment with a psychological tool and I would go into corporations and assess their their staff on their ability to pay pay attention, concentrate, execute. And I would come and do a whole sports psychology spiel awesome. revolved around business and sales or whatever. And so I was traveling from like San Diego to Philly and doing these doing these kind of consultant jobs, and um, but my friends were going back to law school. My other like it was just time to move on from from what I was doing in San Diego, and I started to look at graduate programs. And I found Dr. Sachs at, and you met him, yeah, right. He's a great guy. Yeah, he was one of my mentors. And I moved to I applied to San Diego State as the one school I was going to apply to. I'm like I'm just applying to this school. If I get in, great. If I don't, I'll stay where I where I am. I was personal training the owner of the Padres' family. And I was training like Ken Caminati's wife. I had a whole and so when Ken I went Caminati's wow. I was training Ken Caminati's wife, if you know Ken Caminati from following the Padres in baseball. Yeah. He swung so hard at the World Series against the Yankees and his muscles were so tight that he fell on his butt. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that story. You might might be steroid guy. Yeah. Big time. And in person, big time. Yeah. Like he was uh, when I was training his wife, he had to come and check me out to make sure it was all legit. And he was jacked in person, yeah. jacked in person. And he actually died in a hotel in the Bronx of oh my a gosh. cocaine overdose. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. I did not know that. He's, check it out. He spiraled out. He spiraled out of control. Wow. Damn. Um, but when I went to leave to go to San Diego, to go to Temple University, the owner of the Padres at the time um, basically offered me a job as the trainer for his family. So I was training his uh, adopted sons. He's like, I will don't go. Don't work here at the gym anymore. Work for me. And then that could have opened up a whole series of doors. And I actually was so set on leaving. I I offered that job and I connected my friend's younger brother to that guy. And he worked for him. He worked for him for a year. Oh, wow, so I awesome. totally hooked up my friend's younger brother in a very positive way. He was very qualified to do that job. And that's so awesome. I basically slid him into that job. But this was like old school. Thanks for work. Thanks for taking care of my kids. Shaking my hand with like a decent amount of money in his hand. Wow. Like, like thank yeah, you, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, 
tickets to Padre games. That was all good. But I, wow. And that was like, so anyway, I was going to Temple University without a guarantee of any kind of stipend or anything. Mm. Uh, I was like, I'm going to go there. I was going to move in with my brother for a couple of weeks and then get an apartment. He lives in Philly. Um, I had, an, again, like $3,000 in the bank, enough to, I know, live for a couple months. And I was driving across the country without like knowing exactly how it was going to work. And I got a call on the way, a message left for me that there was a job for me uh, working as I was. So I was the assistant to the chair of the Department of Kinesiology. So I was like just the, his uh, um, academic or uh, administrative assistant. And that was my stipend. And so that paid for school. So I was like, okay, that's good. That works. And then I just, I taught it. I taught there. I, there I started to teach there. I started to teach at yeah. um, Community College of Philadelphia. And when I was looking for jobs, my wife, my now wife lives up here in Ardsley. And so I was like, I got to look for, I wanted to look for something up here. And the job in Manhattan came open. So I thought I was going to be like doing sports psychology consulting. Yeah. That's totally what I thought I was going to wow, be doing. Yeah, yeah. And then I got the job. And because I took out all these different weird jobs while I was at Temple, I said yes to everything. I fit perfectly in Manhattan. Obviously, I've been here for, I think I fit good here. Yeah. I've been here for 20 I mean, years we, we'd say so as well. 19 years <laughs> yeah. now. 18. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think this is my 19th year. Wow. Anyway, sorry. So you're, Roundabout, roundabout everything. No, no that's no, totally good. It's it. clear that it. your professional career is impressive and it's interesting and it's not. But not, not traditional. Like, it's not traditional. No. I didn't, not like, there are a lot of people that graduate undergrad and say, I want to be a professor. Yeah. And great. And like, they go to school for that. I had no thoughts ever in my mind this that is I would be a professor until I was like 32 mind. years old. Wow. So when you're like, I'm nine, 21 and if I don't become a PT, what's going to happen to me? I was 32 and I didn't know what I was going to do. That is crazy. I had no idea. Yeah. Any of this. I had a slight, kind of a slight idea. No, I, I had no <laughs> idea. So I, I have a quick question. We, we said earlier that it's just different now. Like what? Like what is different that we like we don't see this as often in our like, there's generation. too much pressure on you all, you all, your generation to like you're you're thinking about colleges in like the eighth grade. You're like you're starting your freshman year and, yeah. and thinking about what you're gonna do upon graduation, and it's I think there's a perception of pressure, whether it's from each other. Like I got into this whole thing a couple uh, last year. Uh, I know some people that their kids are going to college, applying for colleges, and it it became all about what was the acceptance rate of the college, and all everyone was competing on who could prove that they got into the school with the lowest acceptance rate. Manhattan's like now it's seventy five percent, right? So, but it needed to be under ten percent, need to be under five percent, like it needs to be like that level of if it's not an Ivy League, it better be under eight percent acceptance rate or five percent acceptance rate, and people were like self conscious of sharing what school they were going to. Because the the acceptance rate wasn't um, low. Wow. I I kind of remember that in applying too because yeah. I, I looked at Manhattan it was, seven, it was like sixty five yeah, or seventy five percent at the time it was probably in the sixty and I was like I was like damn like I don't but I mean look at me now like look at the experience that I had and it has nothing to do with anything yeah. but there's a stigma behind right. it and if you want engineering education exercise science business what's your major <laughs> Chem yeah engineering I mean you come why would you not come to Manhattan if you're local. If, yeah. if that's what you wanted to I, do. I also right? had no idea how, like, brilliant our education department was and PE. Yeah. Uh, and, like, there's a lot of teachers that I know, not even, like, that are my classmates, but they're like, yeah, if, if schools see that you're from Manhattan College, you're, like, in. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. At the end of the day, I mean, you've taught me this, too. It, it's It comes down to the people. 
and the faculty and the advisors and who you're working with. <clears throat> I mean, that's why that's why you went to Temple, right? Yeah. And now, I mean, what was the alternative option? I had, I had uh, Marilyn. That's I had right. Other schools. That's right. There's, there's other schools, but at the end of the day, you chose Temple because of Dr. Sachs. Yeah. And I, I chose, I remember choosing, um, I remember choosing Manhattan College because of you when I saw you at Open House. And it, I have to tell the story real quick. Was it open house or was it accepted students day? Maybe it was accepted students. It was we're, accepted students day. And we're standing in the mini gym and I go to Zach's and I'm like, hey, what, what do you want to do? I want your job. I want to do what you're doing. No way you said that. I said that. <laughs> he said that to me. That's what I said. Yeah. That, I remember that. Do you remember like that? We were standing right in front of the mirror we in the standing, mini gym. Yep. I know exactly the moment that was. Yeah. And in his, know, in his like... Uh, Motivated way. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, like, even like you were you such, and... I'm sorry to say, you were such a tool. <laughs> you were a tool back then. But you know what? It was, gen- it was genuine. It was, yeah, 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 it was, yeah, yeah. 100%, 100%. Yeah, I, I think I, uh, I immediately, when we first met at Accepted Students Day and then again at Open House, um, it was, I, I saw like your sports like interest and I saw like your ability to look at a whole person and not just like, oh, like you want to be a PT? Here's all the classes you're going to take as a PT. <laughs> it's like, oh, like you don't know what you're doing? Oh, here, exercise science will offer you these many options. Yeah. These are all different professors. You know, I think your ability to look at the whole person, um, I've learned just being able to to see someone for their whole selves and, and not to um, identify myself under any particular branch or not identify anybody else under a particular setting. Like, you know, Ryan, like you're not, just a track track star, you know, at Manhattan College. Like, you have so many other things to your name. And that's just a student-athlete example, right? He's got one more weekend of being a track star. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then you're going to be a NARP, right? Then, um, uh, the NARP. Have you heard that? Not an athletic, regular person. We yeah. Just, yeah. But, yeah, your, your ability, I feel like, just to look at the whole person uh, drives a lot of what you preach. And I love that. And I knew it. And, and that's why I think of why I said, oh, I want to take your job one day because I saw that interest. I saw, like, a similar mindset there he literally said that i did that's hilarious i did i did that's I, something he know? would say you no we we didn't we kick didn't. it off until like junior year like we were acquaintances friends freshman year sophomore year but junior year we really kicked off with yeah. our friendship it was sports during psych. covid oh sports during psych. Psych. psych because we would do like studying for our tests we would do um like virtual like google meet study sessions right, right. And we just hit it off because, like, the similarities between our lives yeah. and, like, how we related to each topic. Were, were you in person and you were remote then or no? I think we were both remote. We were, we were both remote. That fall? I was in person. You, you were, were in person. I was. But we, that's why we met online because you were remote and I was in person. Yes. So we couldn't. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because you weren't on campus. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. That. That's how it was. Yeah. But that's that's where we kicked it off and then that's kind of what uh, led us to this honestly this yeah but it's crazy because you said like the per- whole person whatever yeah i'm not like bragging or anything of that nature but like look at us now and look at the entire department of students yeah the entire department teaches like person first doc yeah. t dr yeah. lada everybody yeah. and it's so important and now that i'm kind of in the field that i want to be in and i'm practicing in the field uh, uh, under somebody i see how it like plays a part into like yeah. my career yeah. and like just being a human being first is so important yeah Where'd you, you get learn a lot that? of that from Dr. Lotta too, right? Yeah. 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 Where, where, where'd you learn that first? Like where, where did you yeah. learn to like just put the person first? Is there, is, did you remember a moment in which that kind of clicked for no, you? No, I, I, and I actually, because we, we had like talked about this before, I don't remember. Like, yeah. I don't, and it definitely hasn't always been that way. And it I could be like in your customer service, all the yeah. Uh, yeah, opportunities all, all, in your job. Yeah, right, right, right. You know? <laughs> it could easily be all the customer service. Yeah. 
Um, I don't I don't know exactly, or if that's just kind of um, developed over time. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. yeah. or or w- watching other people do it well. Yeah. Like so, I had this one mentor who he met Dr. Sachs, who was just like the kindest soul, but also held you accountable. I mean, he was the kind of guy like if he if he said you have 15 minutes for your presentation, he would take points off when it was. 14 minutes and 30 seconds. Oh, wow. Okay. Like, like, you know, you uh, got to you accountable. But at the same time, and he actually, one time I would say to him, oh, Dr. Sachs, I can't come to class tonight because of whatever. He goes, stop right there. I'm like, well, well I, he goes, you can't come to class. Whatever it is, is more of a priority than my class. And I said, no, no, your class is more of a priority. I just, he goes, no, you're choosing to do the other thing. That's more of a priority. You're better off not telling me what the other thing is because you're basically telling me that's more important. And he wasn't being wow. rude. He wasn't being rude in any way. Yeah. It t- totally was like calling me out kind of, right? Yeah, like, yeah. okay. I get it though. I've had so many of those moments. It's crazy though. The accountability is there for you too because – so I was late for class one day. I, I, sh- I was really late. And you made a comment like people have to stop strolling in late whatever and i was thinking i was like how how do i tell him i'm sorry i'm late and i literally i left late i didn't know there was traffic because i, yeah, I, I was holding myself accountable right. and all i said i was like i'm sorry for being late yeah, like fine. i didn't yeah, try yeah. to make an yeah, excuse yeah, or yeah. anything because i knew you don't like well it's just, that it's just and yeah I well that's it's and he kind of taught me that in a way yeah. or i don't know like i role modeled that to me in a yeah. way my mom and dad could attest to this because I mean I look up to you as like a fa- I'm gonna just say it straight up like I look up to you as a father here like Manhattan College because like you're like a, like the dad figure yeah you're the, right. you're the dad figure and so yeah. when uh, Doctor Lada jokes about that yeah oh she does so I mean when we've had our fair share of run-ins when you've held held me accountable and in those moments especially the earlier ones um, I would remember leaving alumni hall and I would be. In tears, no, maybe not in tears, but like it's so scared. I would call my mom immediately. I'd be like, "Mom, you're never gonna believe like what just happened." I think like he's never gonna talk to me ever again. He's not gonna write me a recommendation for grad school. Like he's not, he's not gonna do it. Like he, like he hates me now. And then my mom told me, she said, "Zach, I know you're seeing from that perspective, but if and even my my dad told me this as well. They were like, if he's taking the time to explain to you." When, what you did wrong, what, what you could have done better. He clearly cares about your growth more than anybody else who he didn't take the time to have that conversation with after whatever he held you accountable for. And do you remember you what know? that was? Because my memory is ACSM. One of them was the ACSM. We did, it was when me. I didn't pay for the ticket. When I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't. I, you know, was that was just embarrassing for Dr. Keating listen, and I, big listen, time. But I think you took it more personally than maybe. It I took I took yeah. everything. You personally. took them. Were you there too? Yeah, I took everything personally. So I for anyone in... that wasn't there, so this conference was you had to register for the conference and show um, in advance, and our whole crew of Manhattan College people showed up basically at the last second or right on yeah. time, yeah. looking to pay in cash, and they're like, "We don't take cash. You were supposed to register in advance." And everyone's like, "What?" And who did a couple Pete. of people? It was Pete, Pete did it Pete. the right way, yeah, of course. Come on, it's me. Only one who paid. So anyway, and and I wasn't there at the gate at the door. If I was there at the door, I might have talked you guys in, but um, they basically sent them away, right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and during that day, I'm. I don't think I've ever told you this before, but during that day, I don't think you. I didn't. I definitely didn't tell you this. We went to a park. We played. I think we played right, golf. Right. No, you had like, a great we day. Snuck we, right, right. we snuck in. We snuck in. Well, we right. did sneak into the conference. Well, we, we, don't have we to found an element because we wanted. No, to see you, the you, yeah, you were in one little part. You were in the poster part, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 So we well, snuck. We, down. we snuck into that part. Yeah. But then we, when we left, we had a great day. But like the entire time, I was thinking, "Oh my gosh!" Like I'm gonna hear so much shit from Cherubini from this. Like I don't think he's gonna. You know, I, my biggest was, fear was you know, like he's not gonna like talk to me. I didn't even remember that. Me I mean, that. that's the thing is like I, I, I think one of the things that I have going for me is I, I have I purposely have short term memory. Yeah. Like forgive and forget, kind of like or just learn from it, and move on. That's. But incredible. I don't. I didn't even like. Of course, I remember now that you brought it up. But Dr. Keating and I, we were embarrassed, basically. Yeah. Because there were like 10 of you, right? Yeah, because it looks, the department looks bad. Yeah, well, not 10, like, not 10. It was like five. You know, no. I, I think I was on my way there, too. And you got a call saying not and to. And someone was like, you couldn't pay cash on the way. I was already late. And <laughs> I was like, screw this. I'm hopping back on the train. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that was, that was yeah, I totally forgot about that whole so, thing. You know, what was that? You was mentioned that? Uh, uh, 2019 fresh, spring. Right. It was our freshman year in the spring, I think. You remember um, that, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and we were in the room. We came out, yeah. and and the woman actually she, it's that was when during that whole thing I was asked another thing that kind of I needed an external reviewer for our, we did it we, external review for exercise science last year. I I could show you at some point. But um, I needed someone, a professional in the field, to review for us. And that was the day I was asking her to do it. Yeah. Oh. So at the same time, here I am oh. like, hey, can you come and review our program? Our kids are great. <laughs> and then you guys <laughs> did that. But it is what it is. Look no, at well, look no, at no one really cared. After, I mean, it was Three years later, we got a gold star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, look yeah. At us it's now. all good. It's all yeah. good. I mean, you mentioned this key. Uh, one thing that I really took out of what you just said was short-term memory. And I don't think it's talked often about enough um, how just being able to live and forget, live and forget, it, I kind of it has to keep you young. And I think it, I, that's probably where a lot of your energy comes from. Yeah, you it, know. Yeah, what's what's the saying? Um, for forgive but don't forget, or what? What is the? Uh, We're gonna look it up right here, Ryan. I think it. it's something like that. Forgive and forget. Something about forgiving and forgetting. But um, yeah, I forget. But if it, it's brought back up to me, I will remember. But like you know, the number of students that I've caught. Not upholding academic integrity, yeah, right, or making stupid mistakes because you're still young, right? I I can't hold anything against anyone long term. You know, I I've had people straight up lying to me. Like I know you're lying to me. Yeah. I've had these discussions. You know you're lying to me. I know you're lying to me. Why don't you just tell me what happened? Did you find something or? I found I. It kind of sounds like it. Like it says, forgive to forget, and then highlight is give to get. Okay, that's that's interesting. Oh. Yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, but that idea of like, um, you know, it's fine to forget things yeah. purposely. Yeah. Like just because you're not going to move on if you don't. Well, I also had a recent conversation too that forgetting things is a byproduct of where your attention is. It isn't exactly something that's done intentionally. So when you try to forget something, your brain can't comprehend the negative. So if I wanted to, for example, throw out my pen right now and I wanted to for, like hardwire forget that. I threw away my pen, it wouldn't work because right. my brain would only be focusing on the pen. Right. But if I shifted my attention back to you or how great your glasses yeah. look or something, I don't know. Um, As they're fogging up. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, or the notes for the podcast or whatever the case may be, forgetting is now 
more of a byproduct of where my yeah. attention went, yeah. not necessarily. So that shows resiliency. Just yeah. from just from what I've learned in psychology, right. that cool. that shows your ability to be resilient. Right. You know. Or or kind of like I don't need the this doesn't need to be anything that um, lasts forever for you. Does that yeah. make sense? Like yeah. if someone makes a mistake. You make a mistake, own up to it. That's a yeah. big part of it. Yeah. Move on. You mentioned a lot about staying in the present moment, and I kind of want to hear your thoughts on like the importance of not, not only that, but being able to let go and forget by living in the present moment. Yeah, I mean, I think right, like, are we not better sometimes by letting things go? Yeah, I mean, that's Most one. Of, times. I think that's that's the struggle we all have, right? And like holding on to like regrets. Yeah. Like I kind of joke, like um, someone, what, what are your regrets? And I'm like, I don't think I have any regrets. That's and like, so sick. How do you not have regrets? I was going to ask like, you that if you had any I'm regrets. Like, I really don't feel like I have. Sure, were there things I did that were really stupid or immature that I wish I didn't do? Yes. Do you right. want to disclose? You don't want to. No, and I can't even really think <laughs> no, of a, a, something. <laughs> I can't even really think of something specific. Yeah. Although maybe one or two things come to mind, but but that idea of, but like regret, like that I that I left this job or yeah. regret that I didn't stay in touch with that person. Like painfully regret that. Yeah, no, I, I don't, I, there's day. nothing like, you know, oh, don't you wish you did that? I don't, you could have taken that opportunity or what if you took that? What if that, like I get, what uh, if you took that opportunity? Like that's, that? I guess what I mean with not having regrets. I can look back and say, yeah, there were a bunch of what ifs, but that's not going to, def- like, I'm not going to let that affect me now because there's nothing you could do about it. And I think we all kind of have that. Like, and that's what I mean by letting go and not having regrets. Like, if you can't, a general theme, if you can't change it or control it, it's not easy to do. Why are you letting it still bother you? Do you know what's crazy? That ties right in with hope. Yeah. That was our hope conversation. Yeah. That was our hope And like, why do people, why do people hope when it's something that you can't control? Because, because hope gives you inspiration. Hope, yeah. gives, hope, there's yeah. a lot of good things. Yeah, we, we dove into For you that. as a therapist, if you go down therapy, know, we've had this you have to have you yeah. have to help your patients or clients have hope. Right. Because for some people without hope, there's nothing. Mm. You heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. No, I mean, think yeah. about it. Right? If you have no hope, you have nothing. Like there's nothing potentially driving you. That's kind of like what I said when we talked about the philosophy. Like that's kind of what I gathered from hope. And we had a conversation here yeah. with me, Zach, and Chesco. That's right. Yeah, th- yeah, uh, I watched that one. And they, they didn't really dis- they didn't really agree with me the first time. And you know, it, it was really like eye opening because I do understand like what like we had you guys deep were thought about it. Right, but there, we had a lot of there, deep there, thought about so it. So what would you just say about hope? You were saying I connected it to gambling and like if you place a bet, if you hope and hope and hope that right. it hits, so you're not in control. Like, right, so it, it's doing nothing for you but like giving you negative side effects but, and like anxiety and stress. But one might be able to argue that if you have hope that something's going to occur. Um, you will take action to help that occur. So is hope in a certain moment, and then after that, then it's like the so that action there, takes over? I don't know if it's Maya Angelou. And I don't think you're going to find it if you look it up, but there's something about um, – you could look up Maya Angelou hope and see what quote comes up, But I, I think. But there's um, something about the idea that hope in just thought is not truly hope. Hope is also putting into action. So there's like yeah. you know what that makes me think. Of? So if you truly hope, there's a there's a there's an action component. To yeah, it. It, it makes me think. Of, and I don't know, Ryan, if that's right. Yeah. I'm still searching. Okay, yeah. okay. Uh, it makes me th- originally think because something clicked for me right there. It made me think about hope in the acute phase, right? And like when you hope for something, it's almost kind of like it's in a form of prayer, right? And prayer. Um, is very important in terms of raising your individual frequency and vibration. And 
hope can in a way i guess now that i think about it a little harder initially hope could put you in the mindset to raise your frequency with the same thing that you want so for example if i um, want to have a quote-unquote successful season or whatever my definition of success is right from a sports perspective right. if i originally hope for that then I may be putting myself in a position to raise my frequency to match that level of success because success actually operates on a, on a frequency level. And if you fall below that frequency level, you're not going to perform, you're not going right. to execute, or you're not going to see the result. And if you operate at it, of course, you're going to see the results. So it makes me think about the role of spirituality and the, and the role that hope plays in raising your, in prayer and raising your frequency and vibration to the point where you're matching what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. You want to add to that? No. <laughs> yeah, no, I, just, I think about it from a bunch of the things. Ryan, did you uh, I mean, see anything? The most notable thing from Maya Angelou about hope is that she said, love recognizes no yes, barriers. Yes, that's a great quote. It jumps hurdles, leaps fences, penetrates walls to arrive at its destination full of hope. Yeah, and the idea, I use that quote. That was I, in class. Yeah, and I talk yeah. about how if you love something, you can overcome any barrier. Right. And just think about it, like all the things that we, I can't do this, I can't do that. When you love something, whether it's a sh favorite show you have, you're going to get home to watch it. Or a game that you want to, you want to go to a lot of Yankees games this summer, right? If you if you love it, you're going to make it happen. If you don't love it, those barriers are huge. Yeah. But there's something about, um, we could, I could look it up another time, but the idea of hope and then different pathways, but there's like an action component to hope. Mm. Which could lead off of what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's stupid for me to ask if you've ever had hope in your, obviously you have, but like, is there like something big when you were younger or on this journey of yours that like, I hope to be this or I hope to do this or yeah. it was just enjoying, like just doing it in the moment and appreciating it and seeing what comes next. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope or look for, wish for success for my son, for my family, for my wife, for people's health. I mean, I get that. I'm get, very external. Yeah, 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 I'm yeah. talking about like, I think what you're for, referring for me, to is internal. Yeah, 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 yeah. What did you? Like, like upcoming, like, bef like on the way to being chair of the department, like that, that kind of. I mean, I always hope for being promoted, but then like there's a whole nother discussion, but like um, balancing life and everything else. Like, I, I guess now that you're, you're asking me, I don't. No, I don't. I don't. Boom. I don't think there is something that I'm looking <laughs> like that I'm looking forward to having or something. Yeah. Because all you got is right now. I love that. Yeah, but awesome. I, I don't know. What, what are you desiring? I mean, I desire longevity. Mm. I desire health and for my family and all of that. But it's so intrinsic now that it's like. I, I mean, there's nothing. Yeah, I'm not. I don't. I mean, I. Yeah. So one. one I mean, I have like for me, I like I have a nice bike I like, I have whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, so I don't, your, your gratitude, but this level. is coming from a very privileged place. And that's something we of talk about. Yeah. Uh, your, but your level of gratitude has enabled you to, in a way, not desire anything, but still remain consistent and, and intentional about your current action. Yeah. Which one way one may suggest, which is myself earlier in the semester, you have reached hopelessness. That was yeah. what I would know. Cause I'm not at all hopeless. Mm. Right, but that but that definition of hopeless is what I was referring so to. So to me, hopelessness is like um, you are not in control of anything. You don't have any choice. You're failing, and you don't know how to get out of it. That's hopeless to me. Or is that or is that helpless? You're the opposite. Uh, both. Both. Yeah, the hopeless and, and helpless. Yeah. I see. I see. I think. I think. I look. At I see complete freedom out of you, and I you so much freedom. Make whatever choice you want to make. 
And so I was going to say is when we talk about mindfulness and all this, and I, and I want to bring this up because I told you this, like the idea that um, we're coming from a place of, to say, oh, I'm just going to live in the moment. Or you, he came down the hallway one time oh and he was like, Dr. Cherubini, your day is just determined by your mindset. And if I decide it's a great day, it's going to be a great day. Right? Was this the quote? Do yeah. you remember the exact quote? Something or? like that. It right. was it was like that. I, I think I wrote it down at some point, but I, it was it was um, it was a while ago. <laughs> it was a while ago. It was last fall. Yeah. All right. And he's like, So today is a great day. Da, da, da. And I'm like, yeah. and he's like, it's just a mindset. I'm like, it's not a mindset <laughs> because you can wake up and you can be a mother of three children and not have any food in the refrigerator. And you gotta figure out how to get one to daycare, one to school, and then what you're gonna do with the third, and your mom is sick. And you have back pain and you can go through a whole list of things. So you can wake up and say it's going to be a great day. But there's sometimes a reality to that day that makes it hard just to say it's going to be a great day. Now, I'm not saying in any way that our mindset, we you can still decide I'm going to get up and I'm going to uh-huh. do this. And I'm going to take care of this. But to just go around and say it's all a mindset. That's coming from a place privilege. of privilege. Yeah. Because you're mm. able to say it's just a mindset. Mm. When some people... One, don't have the knowledge or the education, and two, don't even realize they have the choice right. to see it that way. Or the, the resources aren't there, and the, all the social determinants of health are yeah. so overwhelmingly negative. I don't know if that's the right word, but you, you're just in a different – like, you, we all have choices, right? So we've talked about this. In the, we all have choices, but we also have chances that are allocated to us, right? So we have all these chances allocated to yeah, us. Public health. And, and we have choices that we make based on those chances. Some of us have a ton more opportunity and chances and others have a lot less. And that's everything that we see from speaking of a place of privilege. When you're speaking from a place of privilege, I don't see why everyone just doesn't choose the right way because they don't either, they might not have as many choices or they might have some choices, but they don't see they have the choices, right? So they might have resources and choices, but you get to the point where you don't see you have them. Mm -hmm. So then even though you have them, you can't decide that it's going to be a great day. Make an educational or you know an educational decision, or, or even like an a, emotional or even emotional. Or, yeah, I whatever, see. Because right? you like, don't see that you have, and and for a lot of people, their choices are. We talked about this in our classes. Extremely limited versus other people's. Yeah. But sometimes you can have all the choice, all the chances in the world, and still make the wrong choice. Yeah. Right. I've had clients that have had more money than you would possibly know what to do with, and they still don't live a healthy lifestyle. Mm. I have someone that has no money and lives a very healthy lifestyle, right? So, yeah. I mean, but the chances, so when we talk about mindfulness and all of that, I always like to just say, let's put it in perspective. We're able to be really mindful because we, we're not thinking about where our rent is going to come from or where the milk is going to come from or who's going to take care of my kid today. I want to change direction on that note. Yes, please. Because you are also a parent and you're also a husband. And I want to know how you use mindfulness on your day-to-day life outside of Manhattan College. Right. How how, how is this put into practice? No, I'm, I'm being no I mean, how I is think, this put I into practice? It's, it's not something I think about. It just kind of is the way it is. And, and there are days where I am really like just in the moment. And there are days where um, other influences take away from the moment. I think we all experience that, right? So you're... You're feeling that way and then you have these other influences that take like, oh, I want to feel like you wake up and you feel good. And then for whatever reason, something happens that throws you off. You get that email yeah. or, or you get that text message, right? So um, I, I, I try to just like 
be in the moment by not and I think maybe like um, the grass isn't always greener like oh mm. like that's a big thing for me like the grass isn't always greener and between and I in my family my wife and I were not on Facebook we're not on any social media I'm on a Twitter account from work LinkedIn or whatever but we don't do Facebook I think because there is this like you look at what other people are doing and they're portraying themselves the way they want people to see them. And then you sit there and you go, wow, we're not going on vacations. We're not going out to dinner every night. We're not driving that kind of car. And you get caught up in this. Um, so how do I stay mindful? I kind of try to not get caught up in what the Joneses are doing. Ah, you're staying mindful by limiting your amount of comparison to other people. Uh, yeah, so def definitely, I, I definitely try to not get caught up in that. Mm. I think but, that's social media in general too because let's just say you do go out to dinner with your family. Instead of take worrying about the picture that's being taken, you could actually enjoy right. being out to dinner with well, your family. Uh, yeah. and we I, talked about that. And we talk about, I look at NBA games or football games. And it's like, there's yeah. one second left. It's the clutch moment. And you're viewing it through your lens. You're not actually viewing it live. Yeah. You're viewing it through your camera so yeah. that you can play it back later. Yeah, that's versus, something. Yeah, versus I just like that. enjoying it right then. I was at a concert and I was taking a video and I was like, "What the hell am I doing?" Yeah, yeah. I literally I put yeah. my phone away. I was, yeah. I, I was like, "Yeah," but um, I like, I think in in a in a way it just is natural. Yeah, but we tr but we and we try not to like, and I remember when my when my son was like playing uh, competitive um basketball and soccer and it's like you're thinking about what the coach did and. And like you're going through all this stuff, and it's like you got no control over any of that. No yeah. one does, mm -hmm. yeah. right? But you're you're letting that kind of spin in your head. So I I I, tr I try to keep things very very positive, um, as be within reason. I think not everyone is positive all the time, yeah. and you like, get tired or fatigued or frustrated. Um, but just try to enjoy, try to make an effort to enjoy it, but not really putting in the effort to do it. I don't know if that makes sense. Like not consciously say I'm going to be mindful. Like I and that's we talked about I this see too. What you're saying. Like when you were like, I'm gonna be mindful. It's like you're <laughs> well, not being mindful. I say some crazy things coming by. You're thinking about <laughs> you're thinking about being mindful too much that you're not actually being yeah, mindful. Yeah, because how are you being mindful you, if you said you're talking before. about being mindful? Yeah. Well that's something that I really had to learn. How to to literally shut my mouth. You you really helped me with this. Because I remember at one point you told me that like I I interrupted you. I forgot it was last semester. I interrupted one of your stories, and with my with my take on it or like you know my thoughts. And you said stop. Did I? You yeah yeah. I you said stop. This. You're doing it again. And I was like, what do you what do you mean? And you were like, you're doing it again. You're you're not letting me finish. You're you're putting your thoughts in my brain, and you're not letting me get everything out. And I think that was a really big moment for me where I realized like wait a minute, like I'm constantly trying to judge my environment or ju judge in positive or negative, like judge I'm using it in both terms or both ways. Uh, and I'm not truly listening or being patient with what I'm, what I'm allowing my senses to take in. Right. And I think that goes into the way Ryan talked about being an active listener, but you know, being able to listen without needing to respond or being able to listen without 
listen to listen and not listening to respond to someone. I think it's something that I also have learned from Jared Beanie because he's also called me out on it many times. Um, well, it's kind of like, look how mindful I'm being. Yeah. I'm so mindful. Yeah, but are, not are really you? Being, not, not you in particular, yeah, yeah, but no, that I know. idea. I know, because like, also the ego in that case comes in where it's like, look at me. Yes. You know, it, it's all self-centered. It's, yes. it's, it's Yeah, because you, oh, you're the first one to say, oh, ego death, ego death. Whatever. <laughs> but it's good. Um, but, th- but that idea of, um, and I, I mentioned this to you this morning, um, like the grass is greener, but like, and I, I don't know if we talked about this in sports psych, but um, never to me, like, how do you do it? You, um, for one, the, try to not do the social comparison, right? So that, that is always going to crush you in terms of being in the present. Because yeah. there's always someone, right? You're dealing with this is like normal stuff, right? right. Um, and then I, I, I said this example this morning. I think I had this one of the articles I've written. Like we look at things, and this is like an Eastern view versus a Western view, but we look yeah. at things like happiness in here with our culture is when we get something or do something. So I'll be happy when I graduate. I'll be happy when I get to Mercy or get to Springfield or I'm back on Staten Island in class. I'll be happy when... When this is over, I'll be happy when I get this. And if we constantly live with that mindset of I'll be happy when, when. you're really taking away from being happy now. And I'm not saying happy like, oh, like, life is great. Yeah. I'm just saying more like content or like yeah. not not content in a negative enjoying way. Enjoying the present moment. Yeah, but not thinking about enjoying the present moment, just no, actually no. enjoying like, it. Like literally just pausing right. and just like being so caught up in, in what you're doing. That you're not like, oh, like I'm being mindful or being present right. right now. It's more of just like, I'm truly enjoying. Like, like you say enjoy, but like almost kind of like enjoy. Where like, like you close your eyes and your body like wants to give someone a hug. Well, kind but of be but not mindful. even. You're not, not even doing that. To yeah. be truly mindful, you're just doing it. To be truly mindful, yeah, it's like kicking kicking a soccer ball with your child. Like and not that's, thinking about and not thinking. And all you're worried about is yeah. kicking it back. It's so kick. Yeah. Reality yeah. of life. It's so hard to do that thing. And not be thinking about those other things, and that's why I kind of said like, if your if your family relative is dying, you have to deal with your kids. You have no idea. Like it's hard to even just kick a ball back and forth without thinking about those other things. Well, you know, technology nowadays adds to that stimulation because because basically what you're referring to is just external stimuli and yeah. being an overload, an overload well, of external stimuli. Can no, influence. or internal stimuli or, in a way. That, what I was going to say that. Yeah. I was going to say yeah. that. And maybe it could, there could be some correlation between an overload of external stimuli, yeah. therefore leading to an overload of internal stimuli or not. They could be separate, but that, overload in general of internal or external could lead to that distraction people are distracted straight up and they and, and not a lot of people appreciate silence in fact i had this conversation with my barber the other day where for four true, years true. for four years i went in there we had a conversation for 25 minutes for uh, the whole time I'm, we, we were big talkers this last haircut that i had yesterday i went in there Nice I haircut, sat. By the way. Thank you. I appreciate it. I uh, I went in there for two minutes. I talked to him just a little bit about Springfield because he didn't know my grad school plans. And after two minutes, it was silence for 20 minutes. And um, he looked at me at the end and he was like, did you realize something different about today? And I was like, yeah, but like, what do you, what did you realize was different first? And he was like, not a lot of people appreciate silence. And this was the first time in four years, like we just didn't. He was like, "Thank you for not talking." Yeah, <laughs> thank you for closing your mouth and not not running it all haircut. So, whatever. Um, He's like, "This is how I normally cut yeah, hair." Yeah. Uh, are there other ways in which you incorporate silence into your day? Driving in the car. Yeah. Complete silence. 
No, I listen to the radio. Oh, he listens to the bone in the car. Come on. I, li- <laughs> I actually listen to Spar- I listen to sports talk radio on the drive in and out. Yeah. I listen to the fan. Oh, cool. Uh, in the morning. Are you are you a meditator? Do you meditate? I I um, put myself to sleep by just relaxing and breathing, but I, I okay. don't I don't do I don't do purposeful meditation. Interesting. He put me to sleep once. Oh, no, you said put to sleep, I, I and I was like, legit, like, oh, you legit legit not to sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the scariest thing I've ever done because <laughs> I didn't know I didn't know how to do it, and I was like, oh, let me just try it, and then he just passed out, and I was like, out. and how did you wake him up? He just I slap. He woke right, up. Right, right. If I I thought he was joking. If I knew, I would have laid him on his back, put his legs up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I, I'm curious, just to jump back with your kid. Um, you have a son, and um. You have to be frustrated sometimes with him or his performance or whatever. Maybe maybe this is what I wanted to talk maybe, about. Maybe too. you're not, but like, I want to know. We talk about identity what, too. Ah, okay. Continue, continue. I want to know what what do you do as a father? Because there's a difference between okay, incorporating mindfulness for yourself or as a professor or right. for you know. But there are there's some roles here that you're playing, and I need to know. I, mean, I don't need to know, but I would like to know. How you incorporate mindfulness or patience or listening with a child. That's your blood, you know? Uh, number one is love. Yeah. I also want to hear your thoughts on love. But I mean, yeah. On. I mean, you got to unconditionally love, right? So no matter what, what is the situation. And he's a really, really good kid. Um, no matter what the situation, number one. And this is for any relationship, I think. Spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it may yeah. be. Love, for sure. Um, not holding on to things. There's back to that same idea, like the short term memory, but not holding like, like we, we try whenever we get like my wife will joke that my son and I will go at it. Like just like siblings would or whatever. And, uh, not like both of us know, like we never, we never let anything linger. And this just mm. to be like a guy thing. I don't know if it would be the same for two girls or, but we never let anything linger. Hold on. Like, and even if like one of us is, pissed at the other for whatever stupid thing that we said or teenage hormones make you say things and then you're like we're get it or whatever it might be we never let it fester like we'll almost immediately within five minutes either apologize or um bring something else up that just connects us back again how often do you find yourself apologizing to your son i'm curious Oh, I don't know. Now, me apologizing to him, I think it's more him apologizing than me. No, I don't know. Not, not, not. We have a great relationship. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't. How often do you? Guys is it is it hard for you to admit? Is it hard for you to like admit like when you know that you're wrong? Like if you if like, you know that you're wrong. It's no, like, he jokes that I he jokes that I think I'm never wrong. I'm like I'm not saying I'm not wrong. I'm saying I'm wrong. I'm apologizing. Yeah. But his joke with me is like you never admit when you're wrong. When he gets like in his um. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. He's defensive. Adolescent. Yeah, yeah. But I wanted but, to dive into the, the the identity aspect because you mentioned everybody has identity. So coach, trainer, uh right. professor, bartender. Like all all of these, like the education and all the identities that you have and everything that you know, like how do you like draw lines? How do you know when to implement certain things that you've learned like if you you well, see I, so I many things generally happening. try to obviously when i'm in front of a classroom it's different but i generally try to be the same person in all those environments honestly like my my i i don't picture myself as a professor i don't know if that makes sense to you i don't feel makes like it does. i don't feel like, like i have a, a, yeah. a stereotypical professor you know pipe 
collar or whatever, mm-hmm. like, uh, but like um, any level of arrogance or anything like that, that some might perceive a stereotype of a professor. But I think I'm like, I'm on this, I try to be generally the same way with my friends, with my son, with my everyone. Like I, I generally try to be the same person in all of these different environments. We're getting raw Cherubini though. No, genuine. I try to be genuine, authentic yeah. Yeah. in those different environments. So like, um, you know, love for sure, forgiveness for sure, positive emotions for sure, but also the same with you guys and the same with my son, accountability, integrity, excellence. Like those are all things like yeah, that are important mm. in, in everything, you know? Mm. And I think my, my, my parenting style is very similar to my teaching style. Like my wife jokes, do you know he doesn't want to let you down? He might watch this, but he doesn't want to let you down. And it's like, that's good. And I, I don't want to ever let him down. Yeah. Right. So there's a mutual respect. Like if you guys, if you don't want to let me down, I said it earlier. And I don't want to let it. you guys down. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it's like, it's like the same, like everything's based on love and, and all of that, like the forgiveness if needed, but also at the same time, if we don't learn accountability and we don't learn integrity and we don't learn about excellence, then we're not really upholding all of, like, I mean, I was thinking about Viktor Frankl as you were talking about that. He wrote this book called Man's Search for Meaning and he talks about love. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of Viktor yeah, Frankl yeah. before. And uh, Ryan, I told Ryan to pull up a quote here about uh, it's like love is all or something like that. Right. The fundamental of, uh, nature of everything is love. Um, but as he's doing that, like. Like a, a love can come in many different forms. Yeah. And I feel like personally, I struggle sometimes to know what love to give in certain situations, because sometimes it may be physical touch, like holding a hand. Sometimes. It may be as bold as cutting someone off and telling them that they're not that they're not thinking the right way. Or in other times, it could be just shutting up and listening yeah. and not saying a word. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't really know where I was going with that. But maybe I, I was gonna ask on your thoughts about like the different kinds of love. Yeah. Well, let's add leverage. to that compassion, yeah. caring, it's empathy. Only true to the, the, we had yeah. this. You had you said earlier um, today. Um, grace-based oh. parenting. That was oh, yeah, the grace-based parenting is like the idea of like grace should be part of the way you raise children and or teach or, or with your patients, right? So in grace is love, forgiveness. I, I'll add positive emotions in there. Yeah. Um, you know, religious grace is looking at it as like kind of like God understands and it's okay. Yeah. Like, come here, it's okay. Everything is okay. Yeah, yeah but the idea of just love and forget love, forgiveness is all part of that. Yeah, Ryan, you got that quote. So... The one that I think you might be referencing is uh, he said, love goes very far beyond the physical person of the beloved. It finds its deepest meaning in its spiritual being, his inner self. Whether or not he is actually present, whether or not he is still alive at all, ceases somehow to be of importance. It goes back to loving yourself, you know, and that you, you mentioned Eastern, the difference between Eastern and Western philosophies and Eastern and Western cultures. You know, this idea of loving your individual importance, um, even while still knowing that you're nothing in a sense, right? Because I I know you're also very Socratic in that sense as well. uh, Getting back to the parenting, teaching that love, unconditional Uh love, where you actually have to put the needs of others in front of you. First. Uh, So you can, like, to me, unconditional love, like for my wife or child uh, or my brothers, my family, it's like, 
no matter what I'm feeling or what I'm experiencing, I have to put that, I have to put your needs in front of mine. Mm. And that's to me being a good parent, Mm -hmm. like not being selfish, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word, but I was was watching a video, um, Bert, Bert Kaiser. The comedian. I don't okay. know if you're yeah, familiar I, with I, him. I think I've... Yeah, so um, he does a podcast, but he was on somebody else's podcast, and he was like, when you become a parent, like your mentality completely changes, and you feel like you're invincible. So he was talking about how he was swimming in like the middle of the ocean, and he was with his two girls. So he felt invincible. He was like, he knows his role right. is to take care of his girls, yeah. and everything's going to be okay. Yeah. And he was like, if I was by myself, and my girls weren't there... I would have been shitting myself. Right, it's right, like yeah. sharks and this right. and that and would have been nervous. But it's like, I don't know. I feel like a flip is switched. Yeah, a switch there. is flipped, yeah. Do, yeah. Do, you, do you ever have these moments of protection where you, you kind of go into dad mode? Where you're oh, like, there's definitely times like, where I'm I, like, well, no one else is going to take care of this. I'm the dad. <laughs> well, right. Take care of this. well, right. But even yeah. just in mundane, everyday living, you know, like yeah, even at yeah. the house where, yeah. you know, sometimes you maybe feel like, man, like it's kind of like my role to protect. Yeah, is, of course. Of course. Yeah. But again, I think it's just natural. I yeah, think it's it not. Comes. Yeah, it comes. It comes yeah. natural. I don't know for everyone, but it seems to come natural. Yeah, yeah. But there's um, unconditional love. I yeah. think it's probably, and that's the idea. Like of even with students, like if, and I think that's what you are all getting to some degree with our department is that there's a level of unconditional love. Yeah, because I was going to ask, like, how do you get to the idea of really understanding what unconditional love actually is? Because it's there. I, I think it's. I think it's. It's Dude, being. It's, com- it's. It's being compassionate. It's being concerned about others. It's being empathetic. Understand, like understanding your others' plights or others' challenges. Like we all have challenges. Yeah. Everyone has challenges that we know nothing about. Yeah. Right. And we're, but we're learning more about other people's challenges because it's becoming less of a stigma to talk about mental health. Like I have like modern day student. It's like, wow. Like, I don't know. I don't remember any other time in history my where a student would come in and just lay out all of their mental health issues as to a whole class. Yeah. Let alone That's to, awesome though. That's yeah, awesome. It's, oh, yeah. It's, 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 it's a different world. Right. So understanding that everyone has these challenges that many of us don't talk about. That um, and just understanding that is a, a big part of being compassionate. Understanding, and understanding that when it applies to you in terms of like loving yourself, no, in order no, to be empathetic? Un- no, understanding, or... understanding the other person's. Okay, is he moving? What's he doing? No, no, we gotta, we gotta cut this soon. Okay, yeah. The... Final words. Oh no. wow, it's ten oh five right? Yeah, I didn't realize. Yeah, the footage, yeah, yeah. The footage we, is been, gonna cut we, out. We've been talking. We for could a talk while. forever. Uh, I didn't realize the time went by so uh, quick. Just other random things like we talk about a lot: wanting to do things versus having to do things, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think that's a big. We had thing. an episode on that. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I I I I think it I think is interesting is the idea of like as a society or generations now as a society we're looking to do like minimal effort and get maximum reward. But the reality is we need to do maximum effort to get minimum reward. Mm. Does that make sense? Like, so we're looking for like all these shortcuts, all the hacks all the time. But the real world is work your ass off and you're going to get just what you deserve. If that Mm. we're not going to get everything handed to us on platters by doing the minimum. And I think that's another kind of uh, maybe to talk about another podcast or something. But um, yeah. so uh, just close your eyes real quick. This is, we're gonna we're gonna end on this. Now I'm gonna run you. I had one more thing, thing I wanted. Oh, to oh say. yeah, of yeah, course, yeah. absolutely. Do your thing. All right. And then the last thing I was to say is like you asked me to come up with some final words for the audience. Yeah, that's what, okay. Yeah, I was gonna. <laughs> no, that's that's exactly what I was yeah. gonna ask. I was gonna be like close your eyes and think of one punchline. Right? And I, and I said this. I think I talked about it in this class. 
be curious. So like you're talking about like love and unconditional love, like be curious, be, be curious. Um, look for things in your life. So at work, at play, at school, look for things that interest you. Right. But then as future professionals, look for things that um, interest others, like what makes others want to do what they want to do. Right. Yeah. So from a kinesiology perspective, using the plan kinesiology, um, what moves you? Mm-hmm. physically and literally. And I think I talked about this in class, but like what moves you physically and literally? And if you can figure that out, that's your passion, that's your love. Mm-hmm. You're going to be happy. You're going to be more in the moment. You're not going to have to think about being in the moment because you're going to be in mm-hmm. the moment because you're doing something that truly interests you. And if we can figure that out for our clients and our patients and our students, and then we can basically help them discover whatever it is, help them in any way. So there's an article called The Bicycle Makes the Eye Smile. And it's written by uh, Elizabeth Whitaker. She looks at exercise aging and she looked at the psychosocial, psychophysical well-being of older adults. So she basically studied these older Italian men that are retired. They're in their 60s and 70s and they just ride their bikes all day. So if you could picture these Italian guys in their kits on these really nice bikes in the the Alps in Italy. And she did a whole study and she basically... um, looked at what makes your eye smile. So there's something when you smile, we saw this with NASA, when you're smiling, your eyes yeah. kind of lift up. So what makes your eye smile? What literally, figuratively moves you? And if you could tap into that, that's going to be your mindfulness. That's going to be your wow. in the moment. Mm. And I try to do that with my family. Like we look for things that we enjoy doing together. Be curious people. And through, through that, you'll make an impact. Just like, just like Dr. Cherubini. The good old days are right now. The good right old days now. are right now. They are right That's now. a whole other discussion. Wow. We look at college as the good old days, but you can look at your 20s as the good old days. You can look at the 30s as your good old days. You can look at the 40s as your good old days. And you can keep experiencing them. It's always here. Thank you. Thank you. That, Thank was, you. that, one, that, that was awesome. That one yeah, that, yeah, that went by Sorry, It usually does. Was... No, no, no. We, that no. was awesome. Yeah, that was incredible. The bone. Yeah. We talked. Thanks. Yeah, we did. Thanks. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you.